You're listening to The Real Well Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. There's been a lot of talk about potential tax changes under the Biden administration. On today's show, we're going to discuss what hasn't passed and why, and what's still on the table. I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Well Show. Our guest today, Amanda Hahn of Keystone CPA, is a tax strategist and real estate investor. Her goal is to help investors with strategies designed to supercharge their wealth through tax savings. They also have a top-selling book called Tax Strategies for the Savvy Real Estate Investor. And Amanda is here on The Real Well Show to give us some insight on what we can expect coming down the pike. Amanda, welcome to The Real Well Show. I cannot believe you are joining me on tax day. <laughs> How Thank you for having me. What a, and what better day to talk about, you know, proposed tax changes than the day when people are paying taxes for last year, right? And, and maybe a good question to ask, how do you run a business? You must run a very solid business that you could be here with me when I'm sure you've got uh, lots to do in the office. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have a good team of um, people who help with uh, everything, you know, help everything Matt and I do on a daily basis. So that's definitely uh, what allows me to be here. But, yeah. um, you know, also with our clients, we do a lot of proactive planning. So, you know, try not to have too many surprises or last minute things. Usually tax deadline thing is, is not as stressful as, you know, maybe some, some people tend to think. Well, especially if they're maybe doing it themselves and don't have a, a good tax planner. Yeah. And yeah. Realizing, oh, I, I got some bills to pay. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's jump in. There's a lot of questions about whether or not the tax law is going to change under the Biden administration. Nothing has really changed yet, has it? No, thank goodness. And it's really interesting because, um, you know, I think for the second part of 2021, um, we were all just, you know, paying so much attention to all these proposed changes that were supposed to happen, a lot of them targeting real estate investors. And then we sort of had a mini celebration, you know, towards December, when we realized that, hey, a lot of those were left off of the bills that were being voted on. And, um, you know, even better, right, as we headed into the actual end of the year, none of those proposed changes um, got any momentum to pass. So it's like, hey, everybody relax for a little bit. Uh, but recently, um, uh, in March, the Biden administration released their 2023 budget. And part of that budget includes some proposals once again. It's really interesting because, you know, a lot of the ones are familiar. It's like, hey, ones we've been looking at, we celebrated because it went away. And now it's like back from the dead again. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. And so what's, what are some of these zombies, zombie tax laws that are coming zombie back tax from the dead? Yeah. yeah. I mean, a couple of familiar ones and I think some new ones as well. Um, we Right now, what they're talking about or considering within the budget is to increase uh, the top tax bracket again uh, to 39.6% for the wealthy. And um, the wealthy is defined as single taxpayers making over 400,000 or married filing joint people making over 450. And um, so not only is the tax rates going up, but it's gonna impact a lot more people who are currently at you know, lower rates. So um, that's something pretty detrimental you know, over the years, you probably hear people talk about the marriage penalty, like, you know, why we tell people not to get married. Here's a great example of that, right? If, if you're single, you can make 400,000. But if you're married, it's not 800,000. It's only 450 together. Wow. You start paying higher. So you could literally have 
you know, a, a, you know, spouse where one person makes 200, the other makes 300. And all of a sudden you're at the 39.6% bracket already. So, um, you know, I don't know for any young people think twice before getting married, maybe. Oh no, that's, that's sad. That's sad advice, but yeah, maybe on a, a year where you're, where you're making, you're both making a lot of money and, and many young people are with wages increasing. I, I bet there's lots of young couples that would like to get married that would fit into that over 450 range. Yeah. And, um, and the thing about, you know, just for anyone who's considering getting married, it is looked at at the end of the year. So it's not like a prorated amount, like if you're married middle of the year. So, you know, we do have sometimes we've seen clients, especially a lot of people who maybe in the tech industry, um, that had, you know, significant event with their stocks or something like that, that, you know, that moved them to a, a higher bracket to maybe even delay the wedding date, right? Just from December to January the following year, but you'll still be part of that single taxpayer. Um, but yeah, that's- You can have a great wedding. You just don't have to sign the paperwork <laughs> until the next right? year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that's something, you know, we're really hoping will change um, if- if there's sorts to be enacted, you know, with inflation and just with the kind of the unfairness of it all, um, at least, you know, for the Mary filing joint to have a little bit more than a $50,000 bump, right, before you yeah. get to the, you know, super wealthy 39.6% bracket. Got it. What what else should be we be aware um, of? The zombies. The zombies. So, um <laughs> Last year, I mean, for real estate investors too, or just people in the stock market, um, part of the proposal initially was to increase capital gains taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, currently for high income individuals, the, the cap is at 20%. Um, so the proposal is to turn that into ordinary income, which would be, you know, at the highest uh, right now, 37%. Um, and this would be a little bit higher thresholds for people making over a million dollars of taxable income. Um, but this is also something, you know, for people who are in real estate, right? It's not uncommon, especially if they have a taxable event from a real estate sale or something like that, um, to have it be above that threshold. So that's something that's pretty, um, you know, detrimental, especially for people in real estate and have significant stocks that's gone up in value too. Well, like you said, some of these... Uh... These things were on the ballot, but didn't pass. Uh, what What do you think would have it potentially passed this time? Sometimes it seems like they sneak it in at the last minute, and sometimes the you know, politicians don't even know it's in there. So, I mean, h- how do you see this, uh, you know, playing out? And it doesn't have a chance to pass this time. Oh uh, gosh, you know, I I'm not a betting person, but if I were to bet. I think probably a lot of this will not pass just because there really was a focus to try to get this passed last year. Um, and it, you know, kind of didn't work. And really the political landscape hasn't changed too much. One of the other proposals um, that's sort of a little bit more um, uh, ridiculous was that there is going to be a brand new 20% uh, minimum tax uh, what they call on the wealthy individuals for unrealized gains. Um, this is one that, you know, when the, the thought of that first came out seems totally ridiculous. It's basically the government saying, hey, we're going to assess you taxes on appreciation of your assets, regardless of whether you sell them or not. So literally, if like my real estate went up, I, you know, I could likely pay taxes on it, even though I haven't sold, I haven't locked in those gains. And uh, so that's also part of the current proposal. It's called, I think they call it the billionaire tax or something. And what I thought was really interesting is if something is called a billionaire tax, my assumption is that it's assessed on 
billionaires, right? Mm -hmm. But it's actually not. It's actually on people with 100 million or more in net worth. Um, So it is considered a billionaire tax. And one of those things is, you know, talking about how likely is something like this to happen. Um, I think administratively, it just would be nearly impossible to try to figure out, you know, you have to reevaluate your assets year and year again and pay taxes on the appreciation or what happens if it goes down in value. So, you know, the concept of it's like, hey, we're going to now tax people on all this wealth they've built up, but how are we actually going to do it? You know, it's mm. going to be essentially a nightmare. Um, and of course, there's already people uh, in DC who've come out and said, no, this is not something that we're supporting. This is sort of not the way we want to go. Um, what I thought was really interesting is the there's a website called taxfoundation.org. I don't know if you've ever checked it out or it's only for like tax geeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I haven't checked it out, but maybe I should because I was very upset with our lack of tax planning this year personally. Oh, I need to talk to you more. <laughs> Just wrote a really big check. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. And it's it's difficult, you know, because tax law is ever changing too. And so as the law changes, our strategies have to change as well. Um, but yeah, the taxfoundation.org, it's, it's interesting. So when the budget came out uh, out of DC, then what the tax foundation's uh, job is, is they look at the proposal and say, figure out, okay, does this make sense? Is it going to help our economy? Is it really going to help reduce the deficit? And what uh, they've said, and you can read this on the website, is that the increase, the new proposed increases uh, would give the U.S. the highest top tax rates for individual and corporations in the developed world. So that's something really interesting, right? And, um, you know, the, one of the concerns is with inflation, with higher taxes, um, it could really slow the economy um, as a result instead of, you know, the intended, right, the intended goal of making everything better. Mm. Some people say that the creation of money by the Fed, the increase of the money supply is like a silent tax because it creates inflation. And then it's across the board. Everybody's paying more for everything uh, to create those dollars. I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, we've seen even, um, you know, just even going to like fast food restaurants, right? I don't know if you probably experienced the same thing. Um, it has increased, you know, from the smallest things that we're spending money on on a day-to-day basis. Um, and it's, you know, just as a result of what's going on right now. So, yeah, I definitely um, agree with that statement. Yeah, I just feel like the more awareness that is out there about what's really happening and how taxes are really being collected, which is, you know, politicians can offer these benefits to people, you know, that people want. Um, and people think they're getting it for free oftentimes, but really it's a silent tax of inflation. And, and when we become aware of that, when we're all upset going going to the store and seeing the prices are up uh, and wanting to tax the billionaires and um, maybe maybe we need to look somewhere else at what our government's doing and see yeah. how they're spending. Yes, and it's interesting because um, we always talk about income taxes, right? And specifically, we talk about federal income taxes for the most part. What you and I were just talking about from you know 37% to 39.6% are capital gains, but there's so many other taxes we pay. Um, and that's why um, you know, there's research that shows taxes is actually probably our single biggest expense uh, in any given year. And, uh, you know, for those of us who are lucky to live in beautiful California, uh, our state tax rate at the top is now over 12%. 
So that's on top of the federal rate. And, um, you know, now there's talks of California having this new fix and flip tax that I'm sure you're aware of, um, which is that, you know, if you sell a property within three years of buying it, there's now a brand new tax. Well, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be misleading, not now, but if it were to be passed, mm-hmm. there would be a 25% tax um, on that profit. In addition to, you know, federal state income taxes, payroll taxes that you're paying. So, um, you know, pretty scary if you think about all those, right? On top. Well, also, it, it's it's terrible for the housing market where prices are already high and it's already unaffordable. And now people would not want to sell. Why would they sell? They're yeah. going to pay that kind of tax. So you'd have even less properties on the market. Just got to think these things through, people. <laughs> oh, man. You know, there's yeah. just always, again, there's just all, always this desire to take money from people who appear to have it. And certainly uh, billionaires have money, right? And um, how they got there, well, you know, they all got there differently. But even if you taxed all of the billionaires and all the multimillionaires, it wouldn't come close to the silent tax that we're all paying. Yeah. And, and really the people affected the most are, are on the, you know, the lowest income level. They're, they're the ones affected by, infl- everyone's affected by inflation, but it's really hard when you're on a low income or a fixed income, the elderly inflation eats it away. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's really the government we should be angry with, not the bill- billionaires, because <laughs> with the government, it's, we're talking trillions, which you could not collect from billionaires, no matter how hard you try. You're not, you're not, you're not going to get your tax income that way. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting to, um, you know, the, the increase in, in tax rates, um, you know, sort of discourages, right. Discourages the, the, the wealth building and all that versus there are a lot of good policy as well in the tax world. And for me, uh, you know, as a CPA, I do see it firsthand how a good tax policy really drives the economy and drives, uh, investors and business owners to do good things. You know, for example, right now in uh, 2021, we still have 100% bonus depreciation, right? So if you're someone who invests in real estate, um, certain types of um, additions, improvements, of furniture and appliances that you're you're putting into your rental properties, we get a bonus depreciation to write off 100% immediately. And so we work with investors all the time and they're thinking, hey, you know, um, I do want to improve on my properties. I do want to make things better for the tenant because I also get a tax benefit as well when I do that. And so I think there's definitely good you know, ways to write good tax policy. Um, that helps us to achieve what we're all trying to do, right, which is affordable housing, getting people, you know, in the right places and stimulating the economy. Um, But, you know, just doing it in a way that incentivizes people to do that rather than, you know, scaring people or having them shy away. (laughs) That is that is so often overlooked is that tax policy is meant to direct investment dollars and it's overlooked like investors have money, they want to invest, where are they going to put it? They're going to put it where there's a return. And if the government will give an even bigger return with tax incentives, uh, investors will put their money there. That's what's yeah. great about opportunity zones for those who you know, want to see certain neighborhoods improve. You want money there. You want investors to invest there. Generally, investors don't Hopefully they've got a chari- charitable program, but most of the time they're trying to make money, right? So yes, yes. Uh, yeah. And you and I have talked about you know opportunity zones before offline, and it's you know we have a lot of clients that's made good money either in real estate or in stocks or both, 
uh, but primarily people who made a lot of money in the stock market that, you know, because they don't have a 1031 exchange option. I can't exchange yeah. Apple stock for Tesla stock. So it's just going to be taxable. And the Opportunity Zone, like you said, is a great example of a government incentive. And it's so popular yeah. that, I mean, you know, as a CPA, I have a hard time. You know, I tell people here, here's a great benefit of Opportunity Zone investment. Um, and then their question is, well, where do I get involved in such a thing? And it's like, okay, well, then we have to shop and we have to look around. <laughs> it's not like they're just everywhere, right? Because yeah. it's so popular. And 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 um, yeah, I love that you brought that up because that's a great example of um, something being done well and helping the investor as well as helping the communities. Yeah. And um, just so you know, I have finally found a really good uh, Opportunity Zone Oh, uh, products. So okay. I will make sure you know about that. Because <laughs> I, yeah, we, I, it was such sort of the wild, wild west. I was being very cautious and we had a few. I, I, boy, you know, you shouldn't look back and, and regret, but I do all the time. <laughs> but, you know, one of our property teams was saying, you got to buy these lots just outside of Tampa. It's an opportunity zone. And they're like $6,000. And I didn't do oh, it. Yeah. Like a hundred thousand now, just a few years later. So <laughs> anyway, but I think some of our members did. I think, I think some of uh, real wealth members actually followed through and did it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Cause you're on my short list of people to contact. <laughs> oh, good. Good. Okay. So the bottom line is you see all kinds of articles and headlines talking about new talk tax law and people are freaking out. Well, at least some people uh, are concerned. So you're, you don't sound too concerned that these changes will happen. At least not yeah, I am concerned. Uh, just for me, it's a lot of the unknown. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if I, if we know what the proposed changes will be, uh, that's you know once it's passed right once when once it becomes law when is it going to become law what are the actual details of it then it's easier for us to actually plan um it's the uncertainty that kind of makes me uneasy um and you know the earlier in the year that we know what the changes are the better it is uh, right now a lot of these like i said they're part of the 2023 budget so the earliest theoretically that these would become law if they were to ever pass would be january 2023 so that still gives us quite a bit of time to plan but you know will anything actually happen get done we don't know and what we don't want to be is like in December of this year and still be in this unknown phase of what's going to happen. What do we do? Because, you know, one of the other things that, you know, came back from the dead was 1031 exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2021, we heard a lot. We talked a lot about 1031 exchanges going away or being limited. And then um, so that seemed to be off the table for a while. Now it's back again in the proposal where 1031 exchange potentially being limited uh, to $500,000 per year per taxpayer. Um, the good thing about this one is there's no marriage penalty. So if you're married, you can you know, theoretically uh, exchange up to $100 million worth of gain um, and not have to pay taxes or you know, get to defer the taxes on that. So that's still good. Um, but you know, I think practically speaking, you know, there's always tax changes around us. It's just whether we are looking at it, planning for it, focused on it or not. Um, and as taxes change or ta- as tax loss change, it simply means that the strategies will change, right? From the CPA's perspective, if there's you know higher tax rates, then we look at what are the ways to increase our write-offs, um, contributions to retirement accounts, maybe, right? Before it was saving us 37%, now it's going to save us 39.6%. So maybe that's even better and something I'm going to do and, and do a whole self-directed strategy around that. So um, you know, that's all that means is just will change 
as the strat, you know, as the rules change, we'll change the strategy. And then the investors will make different investment decisions too, based mm. on what the law is like you were saying that we might not sell. Maybe we're going to just sell and exchange one property instead of I was planning on five because mm. I'm not going to want to pay taxes on it. Right. Mm. Fascinating. Okay. And for anybody who is angry that we're talking about tax savings at all, because I, I usually get those comments in the notes and I understand, you know, there's this belief that investors are greedy and some are, and so, but that's just a fact, you know, investors are looking for a return and anyone would do that if you made a certain amount of money and half of it was going to the government and there was an opportunity to invest in something rather than just pay it all in taxes instead of having the government do that thing. Uh, you know, you're going to, pe people will choose that. Anyone would choose that. Um, the, the, I think where people get stuck is thinking that maybe the government can do it better than the private sector. And one example of where that absolutely did not work is where uh, I'm sure you heard about uh, Los Angeles trying to build a shelter for, for homeless. We have a huge homeless problem in, in Los Angeles. So money was set aside, government money, our taxpayer money set aside for, you know, to build homeless housing. It ended up being $600,000 per shelter. Now, could do you think that the private sector could have done that better? <laughs> for sure. I mean, real estate investors are some of the most creative and business savvy people that I know. And um, government, on the other hand, is sort of the extreme opposite, right? <laughs> I was right. recently called into jury duty and just the whole process of being in jury duty. I was like, can we be a lot more efficient, you know, in just weeding yeah. out people? So just from the smallest things um, to, to be able to kind of see the difference. But yeah, I think that some people do think about, um, have this understanding that talk, saving taxes is bad. It's almost like you're cheating the government, you know, mm -hmm. like you can't talk about that or that's wrong. But something that we talked about earlier, no, these are government incentives. The government wants you to take certain action. That's why a lot of these loopholes like bonus depreciation, like write-offs, it's available for you because the government wants you to be doing those things. They want you to improve on the property. They want you to provide housing for people. So by doing that, you're actually not causing the problem. You're helping to resolve issues that you know, exist right now in the workplace. And, um, you know, my family is funny because we, we just, uh, my family and I just had a, a meeting. Um, we own a couple of condos out in Las Vegas. And with COVID, um, you know, back in 2020, a lot of tenants were, you know, didn't really have money. And, um, but, you know, kind of just knowing the stories and, you know, as landlords, we're not all about just making money. We also understand their people and we do what we can to help them out. You know, the tenants um, who are in our properties as well. So, um, yeah, I think sometimes real estate investors sort of get a bad reputation on, um, you know, being greedy and, and things like that. But that's definitely um, not the majority of people that I see or I work with at all. Um, I actually just looked it up. I, <laughs> while we're sitting here live, Los Angeles actually ended up spending $837,000 per unit. Can you oh, imagine wow. for homeless? And, uh, and yet I wonder, I've- I wonder what those a, look like. <laughs> I know, who wouldn't want one, right? <laughs> Uh, I do have a friend in the business who is building his whole mission for being an investor is to to build housing for veterans and he's going to do it. He's already doing it and he's doing it for a lot less than that. So just anyone listening, uh, just 
you know, that's concerned about investors taking tax breaks, just know that there's some really good people out there doing good things. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as an investor, I mean, you know, we're investors too, right? So one of the things that most investors do uh, when they save taxes, you know, if I have a client who saved, um, you know, let's say even 20, 30, $40,000 in taxes, what are they going to do with that money? They're not going to go out and buy a big diamond ring or they're not going to go on this fancy vacation. Most of them are going to use that. First thing that comes to their mind, most of them is going to say, oh my gosh, I can buy another property with it, right? So they're reinvesting that savings back into real estate too. And improving it, improving it. Housing, it gets dilapidated very quickly along with neighborhoods if those homes aren't cared for and kept up and investors are, are improving neighborhoods and improving uh, the lifestyle of people who live there, whether they're renters or owners. Yeah. Okay. Well, Amanda, it's been wonderful having you here. Um, just real quick, I know you've got so much to do, but just if if you would just tell our audience, what are some of the best reasons to invest in real estate from a tax perspective today? Oh my gosh. We have two hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have seminars where you teach it, so uh, you can send people there, but just few top highlights. Yeah, I mean, I think regardless of how, you know, active or passive you are in real estate, one of the biggest benefits, of course, is depreciation, right? We get to write off part of the purchase price of the property year over year uh, using depreciation, which again is allowed by the IRS. And what's so interesting about depreciation is that it it's based on the purchase price, um, not based on down payment, not based on, um, you know, so, so whether you buy property all cash or you buy it with no money down, um, you're probably going to get very similar depreciation. So essentially, you're getting to, t- to take a tax deduction on borrowed money as well. Uh, and that's something that you really don't get a, you know, in a lot of different asset classes, right? Like if you buy stocks, there's not really depreciation on that. Um, and of course, um, you know, just building up equity. As our equity increases, at least based on current law, as long as we don't sell the property, we do get to utilize that money without paying taxes. If my property appreciates by $100,000, I can tap into that equity with a cash out refi or a HELOC, and I don't have to pay any current taxes on the cash that I get. And so those are you know, just two of the many reasons why real estate investment is really good from a tax perspective. Um, when people look at, I think there was an article in New York Times back in December talking about how I think it was uh, Michael Bloomberg, Jeff Bezos, a lot of those people that um, made a lot of money and pay very little taxes. And it was funny because some of the strategies, um, you know, these advanced strategies that these super wealthy people use are really the same as a lot of everyday real estate investor, you know, talking about how to access equity and not pay taxes and how to write off interest. Um, These are a lot of the day-to-day stuff that even uh, an investor with one single family home is using, right? Um, So definitely, um, at least my two cents in terms of, you know, why real estate is good from a tax perspective. That's wonderful. All right. Well, Amanda, it's been wonderful to have you here on The Real Wall Show. I look forward to having you back with updates. Uh, Again, my personal opinion on the potential tax changes in 2022 is that there's an election coming up. So I... Just imagine it wouldn't happen this year. Maybe next, but I don't see the changes happening this year. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think it, because um, they had such a hard time passing it, you know, at the end of last year, that nothing really has changed to make it easier to pass. Um, I think that would be a good thing. You know, let the investors utilize the strategies as they currently exist and, uh, you know, hopefully make things better in the coming years. All right. Thank you, Amanda. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
And thank you for joining me here on The Real Well Show. If you go to realwellshow.com, we have dozens of free webinars from tax experts who specialize in working with real estate investors. They have done hours and hours of videos. You don't have to listen to all of them, but there's enough information there to really help you on your way to dramatically cut down on your taxes. Again, that's realwellshow.com. It's free to join and free to watch those webinars. So why wouldn't you? All right, see you next time. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.